You're listening to a DM podcast. I wanted to be able to say very conclusively that this is how Farlap died, by whose hand and by what poison and why they did it and the truth about Farlap's heart and how, why that happened and, you know. So I'm, I'm, that's what I really hope the podcast accomplishes. G'day and welcome to Behind the Podcast with Jules and Stocks. I'm Jules and today Stocks and I went behind the podcast with Kerry Nagara from Killing Farlap. Kerry's podcast has been nominated for Best True Crime Podcast at this year's Australian Podcast Awards and talks about the life and ultimately the death of Farlap, Australia's truly great horse. Farlap was an Australian icon during the Depression period in Australia and then ultimately went across to the States where he was, well, we're finding out now, murdered. Yeah, I loved it. Um, obviously, some uh, mind-blowing revelations in this podcast. I think we touched on it last week, but my God, definitely blew my mind. Also, was quite surprised that Farlap was such a big deal in the US and all the connections to the mob, Al Capone, guys like that. Like, fascinating. Like, this this is TV potential, really. Absolutely, and carries on a, on a quest, I suppose, to rewrite the misinformation that's out there about Farlap and, and how he died and obviously bring some... People like Tommy, you know, to just redeem or just uh, clear the name of Tommy Woodcock. That's right. So, yeah, good good listen. Yeah. Well, it's a cold, cold case. It was an absolute labour of love for Kerry. Uh, why don't we get involved? Kerry, tell us about the show. Killing Farlap is a forensic investigation into how Farlap really died and the corruption and the misinformation behind the legend. Um, and one byproduct of that uh, of that um, investigation is that I found that Farlap's heart is not Farlap's heart. It's actually a fake. That was a bit of a surprise. I uh, think Stocks talked yeah. about this to me when he was talking about the show. I, I was quite caught off guard by that. I had no idea that this was even a contention. It's a fair bombshell to be dropping in your podcast. So tell us about the podcast and how, how did you come up with the idea? I mean, because you're, you're basically blowing up school curriculums. Um. <laughs> I know. Well, initially, it was misinformation that drove me. There was so many cruel and just plain wrong things said about Tommy Woodcock poisoning Farlap and around the way Farlap died. I really wanted to finally bring justice to Tommy and to Farlap, really, with the truth of what happened forensically and scientifically. That's an interesting line to walk. So you're walking the line of it's a personal account because your Tommy Woodcock was a good family friend, is that correct? That's right, yes. Yeah. So I started out with a little bit of inside <clears throat> with a little bit of inside information from what Tommy Woodcock had told my parents. But really when I went on the journey of um, really doing a, a full forensic investigation, I found out a lot of things that even Tommy Woodcock didn't know. And just to clarify, Tommy Woodcock was the trainer and strapper and best friend of Farlap. That's right. Yeah, Farlap really was his pet. So, you know, Farlap died such an unkind, agonising death. And, you know, not much is said about mm. that um, and what Tommy Woodcock went through. Um, yeah, but anyway, look, the, the podcast goes into talking about the incredibly brutal racing regime they took Farlap into during 1930s Depression-era America um, that, you know, it included, like, child kidnapping for ransom. It was absolutely ruthless. And I couldn't see that any of this had really been factored into the 
gamut of books and articles that had been written and made about Farlap's death? No, I think. Look, my uh, my my granddad was a was a bookie, and Farlap was big time talked about in our family when we were growing up. But I had no idea about this. Like, I had never known that you know they went across to the states and they were involved with you know the mob and Al, Al Capone. Capone. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, it, it really is like you know it's this incredible Australian story, and it's just become even more incredible with all the stuff that you've found out. And what Louis Mayer wanted to make a mm. biopic. Mm. I mean, it's just incredible. The icons yeah. of the uh, sort of first first yeah part of the 20th century that it touches. The whole investigation really led me to lots of disturbing evidence around things like Farlap organs and what happened to them in the days after he died. In the process, look, to be honest, I came across so many wonderful characters, especially across um, my trip across the United States. Um, and I came across people who several of whom had actually lived at the Menlo Park Ranch where Farlap was stabled. And so they were able to tell me first-hand information from their parents living at the ranch. And, uh, and that was really informative as well. And you see, no one has done that. No one has really sort of um, looked at the people who actually owned the ranch and worked on the ranch and the characters behind the vet, Bill Nielsen, who, you know, I attribute a lot of the um, shenanigans mm. to. Um, yeah, but anyway, I, as I said, I, I look, I managed to find this groundbreaking interview that Peter Luck did. Remember mm. Peter Luck, our very esteemed Australian journalist? Um, he, he did this groundbreaking interview with um, Farlap's vet, Bill Nelson, um, Mary McCann, her name was, and um, she actually said that she phoned her dad one day and said, oh, look, I'm going up to Canberra and while I'm there, I'll, I'll drop in and see Farlap's heart while I'm there. And he said to her, well, that'd be clever because it's not Farlap's heart. And then <laughs> she said, well, yeah. 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 And she said, well, you've got to be, you've got to be joking. And he said, no, no. He said, um, now this is a lie actually, as I found out. He said, um, no, no, Farlap's original heart was cut into 100 pieces in the um, autopsy. And so that's why I actually sent over the heart of a draft horse. Yeah. Now, what I found out was that, um, first of all, Farlap's heart wasn't even presented at the autopsy. So the doctor that did the autopsy was furious because he had a few putrefying, you know, remnants of organs to do his actual autopsy on. You know, look, the, I just came across all this misinformation and lies and, yeah, just... Um, Absolute devious, devious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so strange that it hasn't really been looked into or probed further before. Because I mean, as we said, like it, mm. you know, Fallap is such a big part of the Australian story, and particularly you know within that Great Depression time. I mean, it was really something that Australia looked towards and, and got around. That's right to really bring some hope as a real beacon. Why do you think that has been that it's never really been interrogated that far? And certainly for, for ninety years. Yeah. You know, if you look at what I've been through, say in the last seven years, I don't think yeah. anyone. <laughs> would want to investigate it because it's not an easy thing to do and uh, it's taken like a lot of my time it's taken an emotional toll on me just dealing with the um, National Museum in Canberra and I mean while it's really well uh, the National Museum Museum sounds like a example of bureaucracy at its finest yeah. just impossible to get anything done yeah yeah 
with respect. It's great that they that they took my my research seriously. It's great that they said yes, we'll do the DNA testing. It's just taken them an awfully long time to do it. So it's come at a, at a real cost to me, to be honest, financially, emotionally, physically. But of course. The upside of these things is that, you know, I'm very proud of how the um, investigation has turned out. And it's probably turned out so much better than I ever thought it would. Mm, it's an incredible piece of content. Now, so you said seven years yeah. ago you started on this journey. Did When you started out seven years ago, did you see this as being a podcast or did you just think, I've got to investigate this story and I'll tell it in some medium? Well, you see, I'm a film and TV producer and, you know, I've worked on quite a few documentaries and quite a few projects on the ABC, SBS, Channel 7. And so I always thought, though, that I would write a book. And then, like, I just got really engrossed in podcasts and I thought, no, no, a podcast is the way to go because I've also got a bit of a radio background and I love radio. So I thought, no, this is really where I need to go. And then, you know, it's so funny because I went to the Podcast Awards two years ago and I was so lucky I came across um, Richard DiGregorio who um, was at the Podcast Awards and he's, like, it turns out that he's been, like, this exceptional technical editor who has his own fantastic podcast actually called Filmmaker Film Watcher. Oh, okay. But, yeah, but I, I couldn't have done everything myself and um, I'm just so thankful for Richard for joining the project and he's been a very big supporter of it, mm. so... Something that just meant to be. Yeah, absolutely. That's a nice bit of serendipity. So, at that point, was that when you decided to make it a podcast or were you already going down that path and you just found the right guy? Already going down that path uh, and I was looking for someone to be my editor. Okay. And in terms of um, a technical producer, I'm fascinated. What is a technical producer? I mean, I've written the whole thing and I've done all of the interviews and I've given him all of the interview excerpts. But basically, Richard has put the music to it. Um, he's been another ear for me to say, oh, maybe we should do this or that. But um, And then I've, uh, I've had his lovely studio to work, his lovely little studio to work in with his fantastic microphone and, you know, to be honest, like we put it together very quickly, like we laid the tracks really quickly and it was just when um, the COVID had started, just when lockdowns had started, so... We just did it really quickly and then, you know, he worked on it in his spare time. And, and without spoiling the podcast, um, there are still some DNA evidence you're still waiting for the results on. Was, there, was yeah. COVID one of the reasons why you decided to sort of publish it last year anyway? Yes. Yeah, we, we just couldn't wait for the DNA evidence anymore. Look, I'm sure that the, the lab findings from the professor in France uh, will come through, but we really... Uh, we just have, look, there's a lot of patience, perseverance and trust, to be honest, that's required in this kind of forensic investigation and you really have to stay the course. So, uh, um, you know, I, I'm just still waiting for the DNA test to come through, which I'm sure they will. And look, I know the museum, as bureaucratic as they are, are open to knowing the truth, you know, based on my research. They realise that they also have a duty of care toward that, not just for the museum's integrity, but toward the Australian people who are so mm. invested in a heart as big as Far Labs. Yes. You know, I see this as a huge fraud that's been perpetrated on the Australian yeah. public. And, um, and look, my motto is the truth is always more interesting. So, look, soon, look, maybe that 
we've got we've got nine episodes. Hopefully, episode ten in the not too distant future will be the DNA results. Exciting. Yeah, I mean, I was telling my friend about this uh, this show over the weekend, actually, and, the, and before I'd got the chance yeah. to really kind of tell him all about what, what happens on the show, he said, oh, I went and visited the <laughs> Fire Up's heart. And I'm like, yeah. oh, <laughs> sorry, buddy. <laughs> I think you have. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. It's this beautiful sort of, it's in a square jar and it's lit really dramatically and it's like this precious icon. You know, it's Australia's Shroud of Turin. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's, and, and, and it's all the too. <laughs> I mean, they're droves to see it, you know. And I, I just think that we we need to know the truth because as far as I'm concerned, 150%, it's not Farlap's heart. You make an incredibly compelling case. I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully the podcast is set out, you know, why I believe that. Well, look, there was just so much... Um, so many devious things that went on at that ranch and given the backdrop to, you know, the mafia-led gambling and all that kind of thing, I mean, it was, Farlet was going to be racing again in America and um, I, I think the bookies had just, the mafia had just had enough. They didn't want to know about it. Yeah, you construct the rationale quite beautifully because when I first heard the premise that it was, oh, so the mafia had killed mm. them, I went, no, no, I don't think so. And then you basically deconstruct the case on why it's like oh no that makes complete sense mm. and so it's it's really compelling and really intelligently constructed in the storytelling um with oh, thank you uh with anything that's sort of true crime the soundscape and the sound design is really important so i guess it's very important that you did find richard uh, at yeah. the same time, you're also investigating something that happened 90, 90 years ago. So are you going through a lot of archives, and then you're going to are you reconstructing? Mm -hmm. You're reconstructing interviews with VO artists and things like that. Was that how you were doing it? Or? Well, it's a cold, cold case. That's mm. right. So, well, what I found in America were memoirs from the grandfather that lived on the ranch, and uh, and he had had a very close relationship with his son, who was a vet. And, um, and the, the grandfather had been a horse trainer. And so his son, the vet, had often sort of had these long conversations with him about Farlap and his time at the Menlo Park Ranch in California. And so that was a really fabulous um, memoir for first-hand information. Mm -hmm. And then there was this other terrific author, Biff Flowery, who was a real American diehard racetracker. And he, he was... Um, really taken with the story, so he did a lot of, lot of talks and interviews, and came best became best friends with this vet that I'm talking about, and so he got a, a, you know even more information, and that was a really important like talking to Biff Larry's widow was very very important. I, I went and saw her in Utah, and I got a lot more information from her and from his research papers. So how long ago were you in the US? Was it, a, was it a holiday that you stitched in or a business trip you stitched this into or was it a specific trip over there? Oh, no, no, I, I went specifically to do that. Yep, I made contact with various people and then – and look, there are some people that I interviewed by phone and then when, what we did with that memoir was that we voiced it. So that was Richard again. He, he's an actor. <laughs> Well, multi-talented person. Uh -huh. So he actually voiced um, some of that memoir. It's in that 1930s radio yeah, voice you love. Is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He does an American, like a, a, a West sort of, I don't know what you call it, well, a Utah accent very well. <laughs> <laughs> so were all of these people over there quite surprised to be hearing from someone in Australia 
you know, after all of this time? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I think by the time I sort of talked to them about my investigation and who I was and everything, they um, they were very open to me, actually. They were lovely, really lovely people because they were all country people. I mean, I'm originally a country person by birth and I think there's something about country people that are very open and trusting and honest too, honest. It would have been a real part of their family history as well. So I, I guess the opportunity to yeah. really express that and, and talk about, you know, their mm. side of the story and mm. what it meant to all of them would be very appealing. And stories that have been passed down mm. from generations. Yeah. yeah, It has, but the problem with this story being passed down through generations, as particularly in Australia, is that all this misinformation has been handed down. And so and that's what I really wanted to get to the heart of. Um, because, you know, that's a, a lot of my projects are about correcting misinformation. And um, and I, it just really grated on me that people would say, like I was at the Melbourne Museum one day. I was at the Farlap exhibit, obviously, and, and I picked up this um, little bit of literature about um, Farlap and it said that the strapper, meaning Tommy Woodcock, had uh, accidentally overdosed Farlap with arsenic. And, I mean, that just never happened. It never happened. But here it is at the Melbourne Museum. So I did let them know that it wasn't right, but I, I, it's probably still there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wonder what the process is now after something like this comes out and then certainly, you know, if the DNA evidence does come the way that you're pretty sure it will, is there a bit of a rewrite, you know, that needs to happen across all the history? Look, so many of the books I've read and, and different you know, manuscripts that I've been through always end in, well, you know, we'll never know. It'll always be a mystery, you know, Farlap's death and everything. And that's what I, I didn't want to do an investigation that once again ended up in that sort of conclusion. I wanted to be able to say very conclusively that this is how Farlap died, by whose hand and by what poison and why they did it and the truth about Farlap's heart and how, why that happened and, you know. So uh, I'm, I'm, that's what I really hope the podcast accomplishes, yeah. that we, we don't have any more doubt about how Farlap died and, and whether his heart is real or not. Oh, and if you achieve that, that's an incredible piece of, of a footnote in Australian history, yeah. really. Yeah, you've corrected it. I, I, yeah, I think so. I think so. I think it's really important too because um, so many Australians are invested as I said, in this whole thing of a heart as big as Farlap and, you know, th millions of school children go through those exhibits and, uh, of you know, in Melbourne with the um, the hide of Farlap and uh, the effigy and then, you know, at the Canberra Museum, the National Museum with the heart and they all get sort of fed misinformation as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, hopefully, look, if I can achieve that, I'll be very happy. And your yeah. next project is debunking the Morrison government? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll leave politics out. <laughs> so, tell us about actually uh, sort of outlining the show and, and what you wanted the show to be, how you wanted it to work. I mean, you, you said you've done documentaries and things like that in mm. the past. How did you story out this, this uh, well, story? to move it into the podcasting format and, and what kind of lessons did you learn along the way? Well, to be honest, I just wrote it. I, over, you know, the course of a year, I just wrote it and I wrote it with my interview grabs in mind. So in some ways, like, I wrote it as I might um, script a documentary. And so I didn't really have to change it to a podcast format. 
I, I think that um, I think my documentary background is what really led it. Did you have a sense of how many shows or episodes you wanted it to be to make up the series? Or I thought it would be about eight, and it turned out to be nine. But they're, they're short episodes. They're not really long episodes. So I thought we don't want to bore people. Like if, they, if they're just going for a walk and they want like a 23-minute uh, episode, then um, because often people won't commit to it, like I always will, but often people won't commit to an hour or an hour and a quarter. Yep. And also it was done by theme. So when I was writing the chapters, I wrote it by theme. So I think that really helped as well with the... Um, with planning out the episodes like i'd written it but but we also just did it very organically and of course we went over it a couple of times too you know like as you do we sort of edited and re-edited and find it up and yeah polished it up so and you were publishing two episodes at a time was there a, a thought behind that well look we just decided that um because i'm one of those people that i love to binge and i just thought it's going to drive people crazy you know listening to this week by week so that's why I put down, we put down two episodes and then we put down another two. Like we put down two by two by two very quickly because we were getting a lot of really good feedback, not just in Australia but internationally. And so we thought, um, look, just, you know, if people want to binge it, let them binge it. And also it was racing carnival season, you know, the spring yeah, right. carnival season in Melbourne. And we always thought that we'd be able to release the DNA results then. But because we couldn't, we just thought, oh, damn it, you know, we'll just, we'll just put out the podcast anyway. And, and I think, look, if it was up to me, I would have just put out the whole thing at once. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a binger. Yeah. You know? And what's the, what's the audience uh, reaction and response been like? You, there is a call in there from Richard at the end of each episode saying, you know, you'd love to hear the feedback and everything. Have you, ha- have you had much feedback coming through? Oh, we have. It's been overwhelming. People just love it. Yeah, they really love it. Um, I'd say like 98% of people really love it and, and have to say all sorts of good things. And then you get two, just that 2% of people who say, oh, you know, my uncle worked on the Farlap heart in the museum and he found all the little bits of arsenic in the heart. Like, you know, and... Arsenic sort of goes in and out of the body really, really fast. It doesn't leave anything hardly, you know. And then you get other people who say, oh, this is a whole lot of rubbish. Just leave Farlap where he is, you know. Um, or, or, yeah, they just sort of rubbish it with, again, with misinformation. Yeah. So, it's look, it's interesting. And like Richard and I just go, thanks very much for your feedback. Um, and then we just give them what we feel is the truth about what they've said. And usually that's about it. You don't get any reply, yeah. you know. Very 2020. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, it is, as you said, it is so much a part of the Australian kind of lexicon to say the hardest, biggest file laps. I mean, it's still, I'm still getting my head around this one. <laughs> I do feel like I've been lied to this entire time. <laughs> right. Well, look, I've got a, a Google um, search on every time file lap is mentioned in, yeah. you know. In media. Media, yeah. And I'd say I get about five mentions of Farlap every week. It's incredible. Yeah. Believe that? Yeah, it's incredible. That's a lot of mentions, isn't it? For a horse that died 90 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that's right. For a horse that died 90, like 80-odd years ago. Yeah. It's always about the hardest, biggest Farlaps, um, the, the courage, you know, like all these wonderful attributes that Farlap actually had. Farlap and Tommy did actually have. But it's the hardest, biggest Farlaps that keeps coming up the most. 
And that's why I think, look, we've really got to get to the bottom of this because <laughs> I'm telling you, it's not Farlap's heart. Well, maybe it'll start being, it'll be replaced with the story as wild as Carrie's. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> Um, so just for other podcasters out there and people who want to sort of get into, a, you know, doing a true crime story like this, do you have any advice for people on how to get started or what to avoid? I'm a believer in just doing something rather than talking about it. So I think if you really have um, a passion for getting to the bottom of a, of a cold case or true crime, then just get out there and do it. Just read everything about everything that's ever been written, said, filmed, whatever, about that subject make sure you read all of that first and get your head around all of that first and then go on your own investigation and it's amazing how much evidence like unplied evidence that's out there with people who are still alive or who had an auntie who you know told them this and that um so it's just a matter of getting out there and um and doing it not talking about it not thinking about it just doing it and you know what you can actually do some really great interviews on your iphone if you have the latest iphone i found that 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 gave me some really great interviews. Really? Just sort of raw in the field and just having a yeah. Yeah, use I the voice memo even, app? Or? I can't even remember. Like in America a couple of times, I don't think I even had the, the microphone plugged in. I'm not doing a plug for iPhones here, <laughs> but it was really good, really, really good and of broadcast quality. Oh, yeah. that's good to know. Obviously, it has sweetened up a few things, but, um, yeah, all, all really good broadcast quality. So you don't need a lot of equipment. You just need to have the passion and the ability to stay with the project. Because <laughs> this has been, this has probably taken me the longest of anything I've ever worked on. Yeah, seven years is quite some time. It's, it's, it's too yeah. long, to be honest. It's, <laughs> it didn't need to be this long, but anyway. And it got held up in the pandemic a little bit in France. The last couple of years were a bit frustrating. But anyway, look, we've, I'm just really pleased with the way that the podcast has been received and we can't wait to get to the awards. It's going to be fun meeting everyone. Yeah, terrific. Well, I think it's, it's, a, it's a very worthy nominee for sure. And look, we look forward to seeing you there. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be great. And look, when, when it comes, to, weren't you going to ask me about my um, recommendation for a podcast? That is the next question, we yes. All oh, right. Go on. Right. I thought that the Maria James podcast was very good. So it's a Maria James cold case on the Trace podcast. Oh, I tell you what I really enjoyed um, was uh, Snowball, you know, where the presenter followed his brother's ex-girlfriend. Oh, wasn't that good America? One. Yeah, I, I think, look, that's that really stands out in my mind as a, a terrific investigation because they went to Hawaii, they went to America, you know, it was such a big story because their parents had been so affected financially, emotionally, and, you know, they really got to the heart of this, con to the the truth of the con artist that had married their brother. And got to confront her face-to-face -face yeah. in a car park, yeah. wasn't it? Incredible. It was fantastic because they were saying, oh, she's, she's leaving out the back. Oh, quick. And, like, they were so nervous. It was really great because you got the real, you know, you got the real sort of, story on the go oh no we, we better run around the back oh no that we can you know and they finally sort of just went up to her car and he was so nervous who was that that did that again i'm just trying to remember that was it's an abc podcast and it's an ex triple j producer i can't mm. remember his name off the top of my mm. head yeah it's a brilliant piece of work and i believe it's been optioned as a tv show as well 
Oh, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Well, we'd love, you know, we, we've actually one thing that we've been doing is um, proposing Killing Farlap as a drama series. Can definitely see that. Yeah. Look, streamers out there, get on it. Yeah, we'd love it to be a streaming series. We, we just think it's got all the great characters, so many colourful characters. It's got the drama, it's got the heart. Yeah, I think it would make a great drama series. Absolutely. Not as a movie because I'm, I'm, of course, right into streaming. So, um, yeah, for the streaming services, it would be fantastic to be on Amazon or something like that. Yeah, and for the kids growing up in school, we need to sort this out. Yeah, we need <laughs> to get the truth out there. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thanks for taking the time to speak with us, Kerry. It's, it's been a great little conversation. It's been a really interesting podcast to listen to for sure. And I think hopefully you get to get that final bit of evidence that you need and we can wrap that story up nicely and rewrite the history books. Yeah. And we'll, yeah. And we'll see you on December 2nd in real life. Look so forward, look to, forward it. to it. And uh, my pleasure. Thank you. Anytime. Thanks, Kerry.